0: and welcome to this week's H&H podcast. My name is Tim Sedgwick from H&H Land in the States. I'm joined by my colleague, Robert Janica, who's a chartered surveyor, also in our Durham office. Today, we're gonna talk about telecoms masts. Many of you will know that there's telecoms masts dotted throughout the country in farmers' fields, which provide service to mobile phones and other digital equipment. There has been a lot of change recently with telecoms masts and the interaction between the landlord of the mast and the tenant, usually the operator. So we're chatting to Robert today. How are you doing, Robert?
1: Yes, I'm all right. Thank you.
0: Very good. Very good. And I uh, hope you're looking forward to talking about telecoms masts. Your specialist subject, I gather. Robert's been getting instructed by various landlords throughout the country and dealing with the number of matters in relation to them. So first of all, Robert, we're, we're hearing a lot about the new electronic communications code. What exactly is that?
1: Yeah, so obviously the, these mass are dotted all over the country, as you say. Um, the, the the main legislation that came into uh, to sort of regulate how they're let uh, changed crucially in December uh, two thousand and seventeen uh, with the introduction of the new electronic communications code. Uh, which sort of sits supplemental to the um, Digital Economy Act. Um, it's the it's the overarching piece of legislation really that governs the the powers that the telecoms operators, you know, such as EE, Vodafone, and all, all that lot, um, have to install telecoms equipment on private land. Um, the the government lobbied quite hard by the telecoms operators, uh, and they insisted that landowners were actually preventing them from from establishing the required communications network. Uh, that the government hoped to achieve um, and crucially including rural areas because obviously a lot of rural areas are still um, you know still suffer from poor connectivity Um, and following that really the government passed that legislation and it came into effect in uh, December 2017. Um, uh, I think it would be fair to say that the new legislation is quite a bit more in favor of the operators in terms of the powers granted uh, it's very much operator friendly in that regard yeah
0: yeah no well i know you i know when i've been in the office at the same time as you having negotiations with with operators on behalf of our various uh, clients yeah. who have who are who are affected or have the privilege of having a mast on their yeah. side. So so theoretically, then what and, and what what has what has changed with the introduction of the electronic communications code from a from a practical point of view?
1: Yeah. So it, it, fundamentally, it's given stronger rights, uh, and I think it was intended to give clearer rights. But I'm not sure it succeeded at all that much in that regard. Um, but yet yeah, stronger rights in terms of. Uh, of what the operator can can have imposed on a landowner in terms of a, a lease agreement for a mass site. Um, I think it's also given the operators a bit greater flexibility with the terms of the lease, um, for instance, in relation to site sharing, which now is a, is a code right. Um, the rights granted under the code, uh, which most commonly you'll hear referred to as code rights, uh, referred to powers to erect telecoms related structures, you know, maintain site-based services and have access to, to the site of a private land where they need to. Um, new rights have been included in the code to, to assign the mass site lease to any other telecoms provider, which is different to before. Um, so if you've got a lease that says that you know the the operator cannot assign that to anyone else without you know your consent and would therefore give the landowner a negotiating tool uh, that term will now be null and void under the new code you, you can't sort of contract out of that the the operator has that right um similarly the, the, the operator also has new rights to uh, upgrade and share apparatus with another operator uh, and again that's not notwithstanding any term that's written into the lease. And if you do write yeah. it into the lease, it just doesn't work. Um, well, I
0: mean, wow, that, 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 that is a fairly big change. I mean, yeah. surely surely these operators, with, with getting those relaxed terms and being able to share and presumably receive money from another party, surely they're going to have to pay more rent or have had to pay more rent and money to the, to the landowner who has the mast <laughs> on
1: for the benefit. You, you, they, you, surely you, they're going
0: to have to get more money. That, surely they're going to have to pay more rent.
1: You'd have liked to have thought so, wouldn't you? Um, that is that is the big one. When uh, you know, I get calls quite regularly from clients and prospective clients who have these uh, who have these mass sites on their land, and they call up saying, uh, "You know, the operator's been in touch with these heads of terms, and they want to pay me, you know, ninety pounds feet per year, where, where where they were getting five or six thousand pounds a year that we were seeing." Well, that's uh, it. I
0: mean, surely. <laughs> There's a few people I know, silly people who love these fancy phones, Whose phone bill have been more than ninety pound a month. Yes, um, <laughs> but it sounds like it's causing a lot of activity, a lot of activity out there for you, and quite shocking.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's resulting in a few a few tribunal cases um, that uh, that's been key really because the um, that the code itself isn't that helpful in sort of setting out a way to calculate the rent um so that caused a lot of disagreement particularly in the early days and frankly it's still up to now um but what we are starting to see now is some cases coming through the tribunal um and it's not necessarily the uh the 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 values that they've assigned to it what's been more helpful is the methodology used. yeah so the methodology behind calculating the rent table for the mass sites is it really it's unhelpfully murky in the code. Um and of course up to now we've sort of had very little by the way of tribunal decisions to assist us in, in the, these early days. Um the code itself states that the valuation of the mass sites be regarded in the no scheme world. Um I to me that sounds rather familiar to sort of compulsory purchase and the rules relating to the valuation for compulsory purchase uh, purposes in that we, we're told we have to disregard the fact that it's, uh, uh, the site is to be used as a telecoms mass site when we're looking at comparable evidence. So if we're looking at a site sort of, um, you know, on Farm A, we can't look at comparable telecoms mast site on Farm B um, because we've got to disregard that, the fact it's used for a telecoms site. But what you can look at is you've got Farm A and next door there's a, yeah a wind turbine or, or anything, any other small, you know, twenty by twenty meter compound site. That's that's more useful, comparable evidence for this purpose, and mm. um, and that that that's been key. And you know, when that's really, I think, what has caused the disparity in rent because you know those small those other land uses haven't commanded that five or six thousand pound per year value that we've seen before. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, that that's been the key the key to it
0: yeah and so so the out so the introduction of the code and uh, what's changed further in terms of calculating the rents has there been some useful cases to come out of the tribunal in in the event of disputes recently
1: yeah yeah definitely so thankfully we, we're, we're starting to see some useful tribunal cases come through the system um as i say it's the methodology that is that they've provided that's been of more interest really when when calculating the, the the rent and consideration and compensation elements for the mass sites um in general uh, there've been a couple of cases where the tribunal of you know outright stating that where evaluation produces a figure that 's improbably high or improbably low more crucially, then it 's unlikely to be appropriate um, and I think you know that applies to the very poor office that we've seen in the early days um you know, as I say before, for 90 pounds what one client had offered to him. Um and taking a step back uh, and looking at that situation, would a prudent landowner give up control and possession and, you know, therefore be burdened by all of the associated inconvenience of even a small lay of their holding in the middle of an otherwise, you know, freehold field, uh, for 90 pounds a year in return? I'm not I'm not sure they would. Well, um,
0: I no, I certainly wouldn't, and I don't think anyone, and I don't think no, anyone would.
1: No, and I think that's what's really caused the fierce uproar from landowners because, you know, I think it's gone too far the other way. I appreciate that electronic communications is important. I think everyone wants that that network there, but the balance needs to be right. Um, on that topic as well, um, we've just had details quite recently of an interesting case, which was an on Limited. First is J.H. and F.W. Green Limited. Uh, now, that case involved a rural mass site located in a little piece of woodland on a, on a rural state in West Sussex. Um, and interestingly, the tribunal adopted a three-step calculation to, to arrive at their figures for this. Um, and those three key parts were, firstly, um, they, they looked at the site and assigned uh, a value to the site itself, which was pretty much you know, for the same area of land, what is the rental value of that land? Um and it really I think that's this is the only part that was was, was being considered in the old days by the operators. Um but for this particular site in this bit of woodland they they assigned a fairly nominal 100 pounds a year for, for the, the base rent almost. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah. However, they went further um and then they considered the value of additional benefits and rights granted to the tenants, such as yeah any any rights of access over the landlord's retained surrounding land. Uh, well,
0: that, well, that, well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, surely you know, when if there's a problem with the mast, the landowner will be burdened by the operator getting to, yeah. to the mast to
1: put it right again. Yeah, yeah, and what we often see as well is um, you know the, uh, the the code lease giving rights to uh, just go and chop down landowners' trees because if if the landowner's got a few nice oak trees that surround the site uh, that sort of grow, grow large enough to to block out the, the signal then there the, are the rights granted in a code lease to go and lop and prune those trees so there's a value to uh, to the to the operator in that and in this particular case that they the tribunal decided that was 600 pounds a year yeah. um and then finally um, they also put a value on the adverse effects on the landlord uh, and sort of the compensation figure uh, that was required to mitigate those adverse effects, um, which really comes down to in- inconvenience and disturbance. Uh, and I think in this case, from, from memory, I think there was, uh, there was backup generators that were running on site and all that sort of thing. Um, and the tribunal awarded 500 pound a year for that element. Um, yeah. I think it's important to say that those figures sort of case specific it's not you know the, the the case the precedent set by this isn't the figures it's the methodology really i think uh yes. so when coming up with this sort of argument when you're in your own uh telecoms you know lease renewal negotiations it's uh, it's more about producing evidence-based valuations to to demonstrate how you've arrived at values for those three steps uh, yeah. and i think you'll have far more success by taking that approach than simply Going in there at the same five thousand, they're not putting a, a well any evidence across. Yeah, a well a well rounded argument as to how you've actually arrived there. Um, what and what did what
0: in this case presumably it, it costs either side a lot of money? Did the was there any? Did the tribunal decide what to do with in terms of landowners' legal fees? Uh,
1: they did, yes. Uh, in in this particular case, the landowner's legal fees were a fairly a fairly significant eight thousand pounds. Uh, which the operator was told to pay, um right, and I suspect yeah. that falls into the sort of compensation element of it um to, well, absolutely to, yeah if they if they're getting no or very little rental return uh for for a great benefit as far as I can see that the operator's getting, then the compensation i think becomes more important well, that's it
0: so so finally, Robert, what advice so just to take if someone was to take the position of having a telecoms mast on their land as a landowner and they're approached by a telecoms operator what advice would you give them
1: Uh well firstly i would be seeking professional advice um that the new code uh, as i said before it it, uh, it remains fairly murky uh it's a fairly dangerous new world still um of all of the only telecoms lease negotiations that I've been involved with, I have recovered agents fees from the operator. Um so I would expect that to carry on going forwards. Um, and the heads of terms, once we're reporting to solicitors do include those agents fees and legal fees contributions for completing that new lease, which I think is important because, uh, you know, I think it's only fair that given that this is quite a complex piece of legislation, it's only fair that the, uh, a prudent landowner seeks professional advice to make sure that uh, their position is protected. Um, I would also say that professional advice isn't just about maximizing value, uh, but it also ensures that the operators don't try and sneak in any additional terms into a lease that may have a negative impact in the future. Um, I'll give you an example of that. Um, I quite often see operators trying to insert clauses into, into the leases that would give them first refusal uh should the landowner decide to sell the freehold of the mast site or, or, or even their their entire holding you know, that that sort of clause would give the uh would basically mean that an, if you were to sell the whole farm an island would have to be reserved out of it and sold separately to the operator uh well, that, i mean uh, that 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 would have a huge impact on yeah. on value if you have a
0: Two hundred acre farm and yeah there's a mast uh, even next to a house, for instance, and all of exactly, a it yeah. has to be sold to the operator who has would have carte blanche over over the rest of over access and everything else.
1: Um Yeah, and the code doesn't doesn't provide for that. So uh, so far, I've, I've just had that struck out immediately. Yeah. Um,
0: well, that's it. Well, Robert, it certainly sounds like you know your stuff, yeah. and uh, and and I know you're you you are currently instructed in dealing on a number of matters nationwide in terms of the activity and the negotiations and commercial realities which are cropping up between landowners and and, and operators on telecoms masts. So I hope the the listeners, and I'm sure they have certainly learned something from this podcast, it's been very interesting. Um, If you are listening and you are being approached by an operator and are wondering what to do, then do visit our website at uk or, or telephone Robert at our Durham office on 0191 370 8530. Thank you very much, Robert. I, I you've, you've Thank certainly, you. you. You certainly know your stuff.
1: <laughs> well, I've, I've done enough of it recently. It, uh, <laughs> well, it's, becoming it. An, it's becoming an increasingly uh, big portion of my workload, actually
0: well that's it well we wish you luck negotiate with this operators negotiating with you. those operators um, certainly uh, certainly wouldn't want to be in their shoes if you're on the other side so thank you very much robert thank you and uh, i hope you hope everybody's enjoyed listening thank you